guys welcome back to revive school here we are lesson 95 first chronicles 15 and 16 <laughs> wow it has been a journey plowing through this week i feel like there's just been so much here i mean in first chronicles 13 here we are talking about david in the ark and he's got this incredible idea people pour into him say yes let's do this they're excited they get to experience the presence of god and then one minor mistake they forgot to actually do what the word says and one of the guys, Uzzah, he is dead because he, he touches the ark. And then David's like, you know what? Mm, let's not bring the ark around. <laughs> so then finally, that's what happens in 1 Chronicles 13. And then you go into verse 14, chapter 14. And then David begins to receive the blessing, which is weird to me because some of the way he receives a blessing is he has more wives and more kids. That's a little bit random. But anyway, that's kind of the backdrop as we jump into 1 Chronicles 15 and 16 again. Here we are in two chapters, and now the ark, I don't know, Kevin, if you can go back to that slide, it, it, it's now going to go from, you know, uh, in, the, in the area of Obed-Edom, and it's going to actually end up landing in, in Jerusalem, okay? So here it is, it's going to be ending up finally in Jerusalem. So that's what First Chronicles 15 is about. It is coming into Jerusalem. And so in fact, in verse 27 of First Chronicles 15, it says, Now David, he was dressed in a robe of fine linen as were all of the Levites who were carrying the ark. Ah, hey, what do you know? Levites are carrying the ark. It says this, as they were carrying the ark, as well as the singers and Chenanahiah, the music leader of the singers. Now, remember the whole goal in, in 1 Chronicles 13 was what? To gather the nation so that they could experience the presence of God. And why? Because here's what you want. You want the Israelites to learn from them. They're like, hey, look, man, they didn't have the presence of God. They didn't have the ark around them. David took the initiative and now they do. And so as you're coming back into a land, you're like, what do we need to do? Well, let's come before the presence of God. So this is a great example for those that are just coming out of exile, traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles. Like, what can we learn from? So David, they're singing, there's Levites. David also wore a linen ephod, okay? Continues on. Now, I want to say this. This is interesting because King David right now is playing the role, it looks like, almost as a priest as well. Here he is wearing a linen ephod. And so it's kind of like, and you're going to even see a little bit more of the role that David's playing. And again, our phrase is in First Chronicles, the phrase is son of David. And so when you see a king starting to play the role of a king and a priest, just even if it's for a season, you know that it's starting to point to Jesus. You know that it's pointing to the coming Messiah. Now watch as it continues on in verse 28. So all of Israel, they brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And look what they're doing. With shouts, the sound of the ram's horn, trumpets, the cymbals, and the playing of harps and lyres. And in fact, I feel like if my mom was alive during that time, my mom would be in the middle of this. Like she would have her party pants on. She'd be throwing confetti everywhere. If you shook her hand, something would get on your body because there's sprinkles something. Like, like this to me is somebody, they're embracing the fact that God is, I, I almost want to just say God is back. You know, like it's a weird mentality. It's a weird phrase, but that's what they're rejoicing. It continues on in verse 29. Again, this is to set up the stage for First Chronicles 16. 
as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, okay, which we know, like, this is so cool to me. Finally, it's going to be in the home where it needs to be. Saul's daughter, interesting, it doesn't say David's wife, but this is David's wife. Saul's daughter, Michael, looked down from the window and she saw her husband. It doesn't say that, but that's what she's looking at. She sees King David dancing and celebrating. And she despised him in her heart. Why? Kevin, what are your, what are your first thoughts of why? Because it didn't look like uh, what she expected it to look like. What do you, what do you mean, Kevin? I'm, I'm kind of with you. Um, I think she thought because of the David dancing and praising the Lord for what it was doing and just... The freedom that he was experiencing in the Lord, it didn't look like what she thought freedom in the Lord should look like. It, it looked out of order. Okay, I, man, this is this is this verse to me is really it's so accurate into today's world. Here you have a wife of King David. Doesn't say that, but here you have somebody from the old guard. Can I just say that Saul's daughter Michael comes from the old guard. And she doesn't like how David is experiencing and embracing the ark. Like if you are the if you're the anointed one, why are you acting like this? Yeah, and I feel like he, <laughs> here's where I want to go today, and I hope you guys hang in there with me. Religion versus relationship. What do you see in Michael? When I write religion versus relationship, what I see with, with Michael, the woman, just so you know, Michael is a, is a female. It's Saul's daughter who David was given. Why was, why was she given? Do you remember why she was given to him? What did he eventually do? Uh, it was a conquering, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but remember, he killed, he killed Goliath. And then he was promised a wife, but it didn't happen for a while. But this was the, the, this is all pointing to this process of David doing something. So like she's coming into a relationship with David over the course of time. Remember, David continues to have wives, right? So like there's this distance that's starting to create between them. One, because her father and David are completely two different people. And when I think of, uh, when I think of religion and relationship and I think of Michael and David, I spell Michael right. Michael and David. You know what else I think of? I think of Pharisees and Jesus. And in fact, Kevin, if you would, would you go to Matthew 23 for me for a second? Matthew 23, verse uh, 13. Here's what happens. The Pharisees can really play the part well. In fact, there's multiple woes in this text. And it says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You lock up the kingdom of heaven for people. For you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. Now think about this, you guys. Think about just this one woe right here. How does this apply right now, even into the Old Testament? Think about this. Saul never allowed people to come before the ark. Like he never invited people to experience the presence of God. And it was like the way that you can control a relationship with God in a spirit of religion is you don't invite people into the table. You don't invite people into this. And so you lock up the kingdom of heaven from people. You don't allow, like, why would David do this? My dad never allowed people to do this. We never had this closeness and this experience. So right away, she's coming from an experience of like, we tried to do everything to protect people to not experience this. 
It's a Pharisee mentality. Verse 14, it continues on. I'm in Matthew 23. She says, Scripture says this. This is Jesus talking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and you make long prayers just for show. This is why you will receive a harsher punishment. Any thoughts on this, you guys? On how, how would this relate to the Old Testament with King Saul? Any thoughts? Well, I think even taking the ark out the battle where they lost it, he was taking it to show uh, the enemies, hey, I got this with me. Absolutely right, Kevin. Absolutely. He put it all on the table for people to see. Not the right place or the right environment. And I think when you have a spirit of religion, it's all about, hey, look at, look at us. Look at me. Look who I am. And Michael, she sees David with this freedom of dancing and singing and enjoying the relationship that he has and that he wants with the father. And Michael's all fired up. I don't want this. In fact, she was embarrassed. In fact, in, in, in we're going to come back to Matthew 23, Kevin. It says, First Chronicles 15, 27. What was the word? She despised him. When there is a spirit of religion, you guys, I'm telling you what, it's like this. There's this hatred that comes from the religious. It's like, who are you to say you can do this? It's like something wells up within them. And I just want to start calling that out in the church. It's not of the Lord. In fact, there's another one in Matthew 23. Scripture says in verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel over land and the sea to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. I want to go to the fourth woe in Matthew 23. I want to see where we, we go with this because to me, this is, continues to be a Michael versus David uh, mentality, a religion versus relationship. Now look at this in verse 16. It's just really pretty powerful. It says, whoever takes an oath by the sanctuary, it means nothing. Woe to you blind guides, right? Whoever say you take this oath by sanctuary, but it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by his oath. Do you guys remember when Saul said he was going to do something? And then he never did it or he was supposed to kill everybody. I mean, think about this. And then he didn't. It's like, oh, yeah, I got this. I, I'll try. Oh, no way, man. I'm going to do it myself. And like to me, it's like you know how to play the game. You know how to talk the game. You know how to even say the right things in a spirit of religion. But the reality is, is it means nothing to you. And I feel like Michael is carrying that DNA from, from Saul because that's all she's seen. Uh, the, the fifth woe in Matthew 28, 23 really ties in with Saul's spirit as well. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin. And then it says, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. I mean, good grief. Can that, does that not just describe, I mean, Saul, he, he completely neglects the faith. 100%. That's not even an option, but whatever he has to do to wear the part, to look the part. And I, I think Michael, again, when she sees David function freely in faith, like it bothers her. In Matthew 23, verse 25, it continues on. And I think that what you're going to see here for the rest of these is going to have the same feel to this. But it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. I mean, constantly you guys saw look the part of the king, but he didn't act like the king. He looked on the outside really good. And then you look, and that's what really bothers Michael as well. And 
I want to just keep making this comparison, and I'm going to keep drilling this here for a second, okay? Go to verse 27. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. I mean, what you're seeing in the sixth and the seventh woes, they're about the same. You have this feel of on the outside, they look beautiful, but on the inside, I mean, they have no desire to pursue God. They have no desire to have a man after God's own heart. And then to wrap up just this comparison before we really unpack First Chronicles 16, as it says in, in verse 29, Jesus is saying, What do you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites? You build the tombs of the prophets and you decorate the monuments of the righteous. And if you say, if we have lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophets' blood. <laughs> you, therefore, it says, testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's sins. You know, I feel like uh, all of these woes in talking about here, King Saul was the first king, but he really had no freedom, did he? He had no freedom except... Uh, the freedom was is whatever felt good, and it was it was more of the fleshly deal. And so I feel like as we unpack First Chronicles sixteen, I don't know if I've ever said this, but I feel like when you when you think of a spirit of religion, I need you to start thinking of Michael, Saul's daughter, who doesn't like what David's doing, because we've never done it this way. Why why would we come before the throne of of the eternal God? dancing and singing and clapping. We, we don't do that. Doesn't that sound like the church today? I hope you stop. Chill out. Why are you doing this? Like, I want my kids to come into a congregations. I want my kids to, to go into cities. I want them to have freedom. And I don't So what if they use flags? I want them to have freedom if they sing and raise their hands. I want them to have freedom that if God's prompting them to function in a relationship, that nobody's going to judge them. But when there's a spirit of judgment, when there's a, they despise you because you might offend the guests in the church. God forbid, help us. You want to know why we need a revival? Because we're functioning in a spirit of religion. When you're more worried about how people are going to respond in the pews and more people are, are, you're worried about like they might stop offering, giving up an offering to the church because you might start preaching more of the truth and it might actually offend somebody because it's truth. You guys, you got to ask the Lord, break me from the spirit of Michael. I don't want this anymore. I want the freedom of David and I want the freedom to dance. I promise you, it's in all of us. Kevin might not be dancing all the time, but Kevin, I think there's a little bit inside of you. You kind of want to dance. You know, I want to, but I'm horrible. And so I'm like, oh, dear Lord, if I do this, you know what's going to happen? My kids are going to be like, Dad, stop. I think that's what, I mean, Wade on our team, we kind of give him a hard time about his dancing, but he dances with freedom. <laughs> and He totally dances with freedom. And I don't think he's had any lessons. Yeah, I think you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> Why is David so excited, you guys? Why? Why is he celebrating? Kevin, what do you got? Yeah, the presence of the Lord is coming back. Can I just tell you, when you experience the presence of the Lord, this is what happens. When you experience the presence of the Lord, you'll stop judging people. You guys, there are ministries, there are denominations, there are pastors, there are churches. All they do is wait for you to mess up. And you're like, well, Kyle, we need watchmen on the wall. Praise God we do. 
But if that's all you do and wait to criticize somebody, you're missing the fullness of God. You're missing the relationship side. You're always like, oh, let's just see how Rich does it today. Like, that's annoying. And I actually feel bad for you. Because there's no freedom in caring as a spirit of Michael. Because Jesus says, woe to you. This is exactly what we saw with David and his wife. And you can say, wow, you're really hanging out here. I'm just telling you guys, it's that drastic. When you see somebody functioning in the anointing and you see somebody not functioning in the anointing. And in 1 John, we say this all the time. 1 John 1, uh, 1 John 2.20, you know, when, when we're all anointed But when you pull out of that and you function in fear, you function in ignorance and you function in rebellion, as we talked about why we don't fast, then there's no freedom. And praise the Lord, in 1 Chronicles 16, David didn't care. We need more people that don't care. You're like, whoa, whoa, we need things in order here. Don't come dancing and prancing in my church. You know, it might actually spice things up a little bit. Now, here's what you have to know. Like, I'm not a professional dancer. I don't come dancing into churches. I just, I personally want more of that freedom. Are you a prancer? It's just like, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we desire? David says yes. And in 1 Chronicles 16, here we go. They brought the ark of God and they placed it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in God's presence. And then verse 2, when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of Yahweh. Now remember this, okay? In 1 Chronicles 13, do you remember Obed-Eden? Okay, remember at the very end, Kevin, of Obed-Edom's, it says that when he was given uh, given the Ark of the Covenant, he had it for three months. Look what it says. It says that the ark of God remained with Obed-Edom's family in the house for three months and the Lord blessed his family and all that he had. When you are in the presence of God, you're blessed. I'll go back to 1 Chronicles 16. It says, when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, look what happened. David then blessed the people in the name of Yahweh. In the presence of God, those people were blessed. It's like when David, I just, you know, I just need music in my head. You're like, stop, Kyle, like... I'm just telling you guys, like when you have freedom in Christ, you're not looking out the window. You're the one dancing in the street. And that's really what David is after for the Israelites. And that's really what the writer of Chronicles says. Hey, guys, now that you're coming out of exile, you've been functioning in bondage. You haven't experienced what we've been longing for. And this is what we want for you. It says in verse 3 of 1 Chronicles 16, then David, look at this, David, man, he, he, he starts passing out food. He's having a full-on party distributed to each and every, every Israelite. You kind of have to wonder, you're like, God, Jesus did a miracle, but look what David did. He, for both men and women, both men and women, hey, a loaf of bread, sweet, a date cake and a raisin cake. Man, if you didn't like any of that and you liked it, I'm sure you could make a killing. Hey, you want that date cake? No, I'll take it. Like, there has to be tons of people. But here, here's what's cool about this. And I wanted to say this. Like, when there's freedom in Christ, when there's freedom in, in the Lord, I'm actually going to say something super ridiculous. Food's involved. When Jesus is in the New Testament and he's interacting with people and they experience the presence of God, it just feels like there's always miracles of food. The 4,000, the 5,000, who's Jesus hanging out with? He's eating a meal. It's like it helps usher in God's provision and his presence. 
I'm totally serious. Like, there's nothing more powerful. Like, today, our team served us today. Wasn't that awesome? Like, our team served us tacos this morning. They served us omelets. And, like, you want to know what happened in that fellowship? I actually felt closer to the Lord. I did. Why? Because I felt loved. I'm sure you guys felt valued and loved. I mean, these are the guys and the ladies that are doing the accounting and the finances and Sean and who knows what Sean does, right? You know, he just shows up, and does camera stuff. He's doing switcher stuff and then he's making omelets. And, but like we got to experience God working in them and we got to experience the presence of God. I know that sounds weird, but when you start to understand Acts 2, And you begin to understand 46, 47, 48, when you begin to see how God's designed this is for us to have fellowship together with food, then you actually begin to say, man, this actually makes sense. And so he gives everybody, men and women, this is going to sound funny, and it's not meant to sound like gender focused on one another. Normally, it's just the men. Normally, you just hear about men. So I think this is a really cool picture of men and women, loaf of bread, date cake, and a raisin cake. Here's what I want to know. Did Michael get a loaf of bread? Did she get a date cake and did she get a raisin cake? It said he distributed to every Israelite, men and women. I think sometimes in my mind, when I see the women, I'm like, hey, Michael, ha ha. <laughs> like God is so moving and he's going to bless those that don't even like it. Because I believe God wants to bless those that have the spirit of religion to break them from it so that he could experience what we're experiencing. We could experience what the Davids are experiencing. Does that make sense? And I feel like it sounds really small, but David, every time he experiences God, food in a weird way, not every time, but a lot of times, three times. Kevin, watch this. Go to 1 Chronicles 12, 39. Three times when David's celebrating, food's involved. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 39. They spent three days there eating and drinking with David for their relatives had provided for them. Well, praise God. Then we have the 1 Chronicles 16, 3. And then, Kevin, would you go to 1 Chronicles 29, 22. First Chronicles 29, 22. It says, They ate and drank with great joy in the Lord's presence that day. Then for a second time, they made David's son Solomon king. They anointed him as the Lord's ruler, as Zadok, and as the priest. David's family, from the beginning to the end, when they experienced God's presence, I, I know this is a weird point, they did this with food. And I'm telling you guys, when we come into cities and we see the presence of God, <laughs> this just sounds weird. But, like, we're having fellowship with other people. Rich, what are you laughing at? <laughs> it's usually over biscuits and gravy. Yeah, in Indiana, uh, how about... Baked oatmeal. Baked oatmeal. <laughs> I, I love this, you guys, because to me, David is modeling what, what, what he's desiring. There's freedom. And there's no hierarchy. And I, this is where I really want to go, too, with this. It... <laughs> There's no level of, you can't sit at the table with me. Everybody comes to the table with the food. When God is present and real, there's no, I'm better than this person. But with the spirit of religion and Michael looking out the window, I'm not participating with those commoners. I'm not participating. I mean, David is going to start turning this whole thing into a psalm. Like, that's how excited he is about the Lord. Now, think about this. In verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, David begins to appoint Levites. Praise God, David's starting to do things with, with order. Now, did you catch this? Even though David's celebrating and dancing, even though David's experiencing the presence of God, he's still doing things with order. Even if you don't like how it looks, he's integrating. Now, what, how does that compare to First Chronicles 13? He didn't do that. 
Remember that? He was excited. He was rejoicing. And then poor Uzzah, he's dead because he didn't put all these things in place. Now David is putting these things in place. He kind of has, because he's doing it the right way, there's freedom now. Yeah, good word, Kevin. All right, so here we go. It says, He appointed some of the Levites to be ministers before the ark of the Lord to celebrate the Lord God of Israel and to give thanks and to praise Him. And then look who He appoints to do this, Asaph. He actually has somebody to spearhead all of this. Why? Because David doesn't need to do it. Can I just say something about a spirit of religion? A spirit of religion would say, I need to do all of this. I need to be the guy who's handing out the bread. I need to be the guy who's praying. I need to be the guy who's handling all the sacrifices. I need to be the guy leading worship. No, no, no. David says, Asaph, you're the guy. Zechariah, you're the guy. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to bring in a whole group of people. Jael, Shemarath, Jehel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaniah, Obed-Edom, and Jael played the harps and lyres while Asaph sounded the cymbals. <laughs> Please tell me that there is no freedom in this. People are excited, you guys. People are genuinely excited about the presence of God. Can I tell you this? Because they feel like they're starting over again. They feel like they're encountering the living God all over again. And when you realize that you are tapping into your first love, when you're going back to is what it says in Revelation, like let's fall back in love with Christ, the one that changed our life. When you begin to embrace who he is, this is going to sound strange. You'll start playing the harps and the lyres and the cymbals. You'll start dancing because you realize what he's done for you. And what David does is he releases people to do these things. Spirit of religion will always control. A spirit of relationship with the Father will always empower. Totally different. Scripture says in verse 6, And the priests Benaniah and Jehaziel, look, they're blowing the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant. And then on that day, I love this, David decreed for the first time that thanks be given to the Lord by Asaph and his relatives. Hey guys, by the way, here's what I need you to do. I need you to be in charge and I need to make sure you understand. And I have officially, I think this is a proof, you can say this, I've officially approved this psalm. You guys realize that in 1 Chronicles 16, this is the craziest thing here. And I, I'm, we don't have time to go over this, but I want you to understand the, the parallels here, okay? In verses 8 through 22, okay, what you're going to see is David reciting Psalm 105, 1 through 15. Man, it is the coolest picture of what you're going to see. And then what you're going to see in verses 23, verses 33 you're going to see Psalm 96, 1 through 13. And then as it continues on, verses 34 through 36, you're going to see Psalm 106. Now look at this, Kevin. This is kind of weird. Verse 1, verse 47, and verse 48. And this is in First Chronicles 16. And I think what's really powerful about this is this is a psalm that has been decreed to Asaph and your folks. I need to make sure you never forget who God is and what he's done. I mean, it's an incredible picture. In fact, First Chronicles 16, 34, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Why, why is this message? Why is this message so important? Because to those that are coming out of exile, they need to remember all that God's done. 
And it's not about sitting and staring, saying, oh, we don't do things like that. No, that, those days are over. <laughs> now is a time like David saying, no, 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 praise God. Look at all he's done. His faithful love endures forever. And then it really, you guys, there's so much that it gets into. But I want to encourage you. You know, bottom line today, at the end of 1 Chronicles 15, and it jumps into 1 Chronicles 16, where are you at personally? And do you... And are you willing to dance? (laughs) Or can I just say this? Are you sitting at the window? When you can decide you're free to dance, you get what this means. If you can't quite get there, ask the Lord to free you from this bondage that's not designed from the Lord. This is a fun one. There's a lot here. Uh, My prayer is is, uh, we'll keep digging into it tomorrow. So, Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus, encourage our hearts, encourage our minds, and encourage our feet to have freedom in the Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Bless you guys.